what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. I am the co-director, co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival right here in Western North Carolina. And across the podcasting table with me is Chris Fry, the other co of the co-founder and co-director. How are you doing, Chris? Doing good. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to us. Yeah. So we're going to talk some movies today, as we always do. Sounds good. This is our, this is our little time to sit here at the table. <laughs> Tis. Talk some movies, review some films, talk over some news. And that's what we're going to do today. We've got a couple of film reviews we'll be exploring first up. Uh, the latest uh, film from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Black Widow, starring Scarlett Johansson, we will be reviewing first. Following that up with a review of a film, uh, When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit, based on a world-famous book uh, directed by Carolyn Link, we'll be reviewing that film as well. After we get through those reviews, we've got some news items to share about either some uh, latest movie news. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about, I'll go ahead and say, Richard Donner's passing, kind of a director I wanted to talk about a little bit in the news section, and uh, a couple upcoming project interesting notes. And then we'll cap out the show with our recommendations of the episode. That's where Chris and I both give one film recommendation we think is worth checking out this week. So Chris, got plenty to do. You ready to get started? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's get into our first review, which is the film Black Widow. I tell people my sister moved out west. You're a science teacher. Your husband, he renovates houses. You're thinking about moving, but you're going to wait until the interest rates go down. That's not my story. Before I was an Avenger, I made mistakes. And a lot of enemies. His call signs Taskmaster. He controls the Red Room. They're manipulated. Fully conscious, but no choices. I should have come back for you. How many others are there? Enough. We have to go back to where it all started. So they never do that to anyone again. We're a family. We fight with you. You won't win. I've always found it best. Not to look into the past. Okay, you got a plan or shall I just stay duck and cover? My plan was to drive us away. Where your plan sucks. At some point we all have to choose between what the world wants you to be and who you are. choice. I'm done running. Here's what's going to happen. Natasha, don't slouch. I'm not slouching. You're going to get the back hunch. Mm, listen to your mother. Oh, my God. This... Up, up. Listen. All right, enough. All of you. I didn't say anything. That's not fair. On July 9th, we will have the official cinematic kickoff of Phase 4 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, to be followed by Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings in September and The Eternals in November. Director Kate Shortland's Black Widow, starring Scarlett Johansson, Florence Pugh, David Harbour, and Rachel Weisz, has been delayed three times from an original May 2020 release due to the COVID pandemic. 
Alan, what did you make of this kickoff for the next stage of the MCU? And do you think it will satiate audiences hungry for some big screen comic book content? Um, uh, your second question first. Okay. Uh, I think it will satiate the, the masses. Okay. Um, this is a entertaining movie. Okay. Um, I hear I hear a but coming. Uh, no, it's entertaining. Okay. And it is fun. And I think people who are already bought into the Marvel Cinematic Universe will find plenty to enjoy and like out of this. Um, uh, you know, in this film, we have, you know, Natasha Romanoff, who um, obviously uh, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, she is Black Widow. And, you know, the one thing about the Black Widow character and all the other movies that she's been a part of in the Marvel Universe is we don't really get a lot of backstory. I mean, we kind of get hints at it. We kind of get little notes on as she was trained to be an assassin. And maybe there was a, a group. I think the Red Room had been mentioned in previous movies as kind of a training group for these these widows, they call them. But you didn't really get a lot more about any family, about any upbringing or any of that. So you do get that here in this movie. Okay. Um, and I actually, I will tell you, I think the first 20, 30 minutes, probably the most effective part of this film and the most enjoyable for me because it was the true backstory. And especially, I'm going to go ahead and say the first opening sequence, I think before you even get to the big credits, I thought were really, really effective. It's very, okay. a, uh, I think it took place back in the eighties and it's, you know, uh, Natasha as a, as a you know, preteen or maybe a young teenager. And you just get, start to learn the dynamics of the situation she's living in with her family and kind of a very thrilling escape they have to make. It was really good. So that really got me excited for the rest of the film. The rest of the film held up for the most part. I, I, I it's a problem for me, Chris, is I, I think this is a film that it's a fairly inconsequential film, which mm -hmm. I think is a little bit of a, a problem with it. If anybody's a fan of these movies, you know that the Black Widow character <laughs> has something happened to her in a previous movie sure. that makes this movie, again, somewhat inconsequential. He's referencing Avengers Endgame. Yeah. Gotcha. And so it does make it tough to watch it and, and kind of you know where it's going to end. You know what this character's fate is. So yes, it's great to get the backstory, but uh, at the end of the day, I hate saying it, it's kind of a disposable movie. I mean, it hmm. doesn't really change anything. Doesn't really move any story forward. It doesn't move any character development forward in my mind. It was just nice popcorn entertainment for two hours. That being said, I did like it. And okay. I think it was good. And I got some specific things I'll point out again that I thought were really good, but Chris, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah. I, I, I think I may have liked it a little more than you, okay. um, but I think we're basically on the same page. I, I was, I mean, the cast, Scarlett Johansson, you know, she's good, obviously. She's been in other movies. I feel like she could have just slept, walked through this because, you know, she's, she knows the character. She's been doing the character for a while now, but I feel like she actually did, you know, show up <laughs> and mm -hmm. put, put some effort into it. Um, I really like the relationship between her and Florence Pugh. I thought that was really good. And Florence Pugh, like I really enjoyed her seeing her do something that I've not really seen her do before being an action movie. And yeah. so that was, that was fun. And of course, you know, David Harbour, he's, you know, he's, I liked him. I thought he was great. I thought, I thought was he was probably fun. my favorite character in the movie. Um, just because he he gave it – well, it was interesting. You know, he 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 kind of played two sides of the coin because he had to play, in a way, two different characters. Sure. You meet him early in the film Much and you younger. see him as one type of character, a role he has to play. Right. And then you get to see him kind of unbridled, you know, <laughs> in all right. of his glory later on. And it was a fun part. So I agree with you. I thought David Harbour was, was great. But go ahead. Sorry. So, and yeah, and Rachel Vice, you know, being kind of in an action movie, not used to seeing her you know, yeah. since the mummy days, she was in the mummy a long right. time ago, but not really seeing her in something like this. So it was, it was, it was fun. And I thought they all did a really great job. And I kind of what you're referencing, even though, I mean, to me, I am not as, um, bought in to the Marvel cinematic universe. Sure. Um, so, I didn't really care about Black Widow before. I still don't really care about her now, but I thought the movie was entertaining and, you know, making me curious about, oh, okay, this took place between 2016 Civil War and between like the first Avengers. So, so you kind of get us like, yeah. oh, okay, this is, this is like a backstory thing. And instead of waiting, I guess, like, you know, 15 years and like, oh, and kind of like milking, I guess, the franchise or whatever and going back and doing it. Yeah, they did wait. 
but I, I, it made it made it kind of interesting. So mm-hmm. you know, because it's kind of like, um, yeah, just kind of a glimpse in the backstory. But instead of doing the whole movie as like her childhood or something, you know, no, yeah. they just they kind of. I, I, I thought the frame. Well, basically, was once you got past the first. 15, 20 minutes and you get the understanding of her backstory and some, some of her family situation. Then it just becomes a episode. Yeah. Uh, just sure. an adventure of the black widow and her family. And it's still fun. It's a good entertaining uh, mix. Again, at the end of the day, it just doesn't really well, mean anything, but it's still fun. So, yeah. <laughs> and I'll say this too, um, without giving anything away about, um, a post credit scene, um, of which there is one, mm-hmm. um, to me, You know, I know, you know, Marvel, also Star Wars, also, you know, lots of franchises. They're very careful about franchise care and Mm -hmm. how they lead one thing into the other. You know, Marvel did their whole, you know, Avengers thing and it was or the end game and the whole Thanos saga. You know, just it was very well planned out. Yeah. We mentioned as kind of the tease, this is the kickoff for phase four. Well, did it? Well, mm. if you think of how some of the post credits and how that could lead to something, this is a pretty safe and genius way for them to say, okay, now we're starting a new chapter. Here's some details. And they, but they bring with somebody that's very familiar. You know what I mean? Like to start off the phase four with Black Widow, people already know that's a yep. safe thing as opposed to starting it off with like, for instance, the Eternals. You know, yep. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. no, so I agree. I, you know, I'm like, you know, that's, kind of genius so well and again we won't touch any spoiler things but i did i did read afterwards that the post-credit scene on this film okay had to be retooled a bit ah. because this film was eventually originally supposed to come out before any of the tv shows interesting okay i wondered and there okay. is a tie-in with this post-credit scene in a scene from one of the TV shows and yes, it was supposed to be in a different order. So they had to retool those a little bit. Interesting. Okay. Um, I'll say, so a couple call outs. I, I do agree with you. I think Scarlett Johansson was really good. Okay. I mean, she was, she was very effective in a film that I think they had a real interest in, in broadening the cast of characters beyond just her. And they did obviously, you know, Florence Pugh as Yelena Belova, you know, the kind of her setting up, I think it's pretty clear in the trailers and all that setting her up as another potential character in the, in the universe. You're saying we will probably see her again. I think we'll see her again. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and I think she, she held her own as well. I really like David Harbour. I like Rachel Weiss too. All four of the main leads I really thought were great. Sure. Um, where the film lost some points with me, Chris, I love, comic booky movies. Mm-hmm. I like comic book tropes. I don't mind that stuff, but sure. I feel like once a film has kind of got a tone and got a, a direction, it should mm. kind of stay in that lane mm. because if it starts to dip too much, if it's saying, okay, we're going to be more of a Jason Bourne espionage kind of thriller, mm-hmm. which I think for the first half of this movie, it totally is. Yes. Yeah. Then when they start to introduce some very over the top comic booky, uh, elements. I'm thinking specifically about the things surrounding the main bad guy in this film. Uh, we did have Ray Winstone who plays right. uh, the big bad in the movie. Yes. Um, I'll just say this. Supposedly he has a way with where if his widows smell him, they can't attack him or something. Pheromone, and yeah. Pheromone things. And right. it's, it's almost just too outlandish. So not, this whole not, That was – you're saying – you didn't buy that because it was a comic trip, not necessarily because that was played for laughs. No, no, no. Okay, no, I, I didn't think it was played for that. But you, oh no, no, I didn't think it was played. It was for, I thought it was ridiculous. It was I thought it was just okay, kind of ridiculous the way and the way it was staged and the way it was played and kind of their confrontations. It was like awkward. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. This is like this is now kind of to a point where you had me in such a more realism grounded type of environment. And now you've kind of thrown this whole mix okay. and this red powder dust that they can just like poof. And then everybody like switches. <laughs> back. It, it, it huh. just got a little dumb late in the film for me. Okay. But huh. that aside, you know, I, I still had a good time. I, it's just the inconsequentialness of the film kind of just hung with me the whole time okay. and made me enjoy it, but not really, feel like I got anything more out of it than just some great popcorn entertainment for a couple of years, a couple hours. And that's fine. Sure. That's all we need sometimes. And I think this film delivered on that. Uh, I thought there were some great sequences early on. Um, the, the kind of the, the standoff she has with, uh, with, uh, Taskmaster? Yelena, no, Yelena oh. early on when they okay. first meet back up. And then there's a, uh, a, a following car chase, which I thought was mm-hmm. pretty good. You yep. don't see really good car chases in these comic book movies. And I think True. this was good. 
Um, and I like the Taskmaster, the kind of the the fighting villain thing. Again, we won't go into any spoilers on details of his backstory, but the design, the way the per- he moved, I thought was really cool. So yeah. I did like that as well. It was a visually interesting uh, a villain to work with. Yeah, I, I, this is where I benefit, I think, sometimes from not knowing, because you probably know a little bit of the backstory. You do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't. And so yeah. I thought the Taskmaster character was really awesome, and I enjoyed kind of the reveals with that character. I will say... Um, which I think is a lot of times for me, just personal preference, um, kind of what you're saying about how you have a Jason Bourne type movie and then you shift and have like a different, not then you have like a Marvel comic book movie. And to me, those are kind of separate things. And for instance, when I like a comic book movie, I like for the bad guys to be something more comic booky to me, like Taskmaster. So I like that. Drakeoff to me was just kind of boring. Yeah. And so that, that was a problem with me, not necessarily what they said about like how he functioned. Cause I understood he was like the red room coordinator. And he, but it's just, he's just a dude. He's and well, so that to me makes him a heck of a lot less interesting. Well, he was less so. interesting. I thought if you really think about his grand plan and kind of what his whole thing is, it's kind of dumb. <laughs> and there again, the whole, I can't get past the whole pheromones sure. thing. It was just, the whole the whole bit with Ray Winstone. I mean, I think Ray Winstone was fine in the mm-hmm. role, but the whole storyline around his character, yeah, it wasn't great. I think you know, Taskmaster is more the henchman villain, which you know played that role. It's not going to be really the, cool, one. but a really cool one. Yeah. Very much a Darth Maul type of character to drop in, where not the big bad, but it's but, the one that you know is the most visually striking and interesting to watch and fun to play with. So yeah, um, no, I think I think the film was good. Again, it was good. It it just a uh, couple misgivings with the change in tone later in the film, and uh, again, just wishing the film. When you've given us so many movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, each one tries to build on each other or at least moves characters forward. This is one where I just, I mean, you can't really move the character forward. <laughs> and there's no True. real development you can have with a character when you know there's a fate waiting for them in a movie that's already happened. So right. it's anyway, that's my only feedback on it. But otherwise that was good. Anything else you got on it? Yeah. Two things. Um, I was a little surprised, um, that this, I mean, PG 13, which, you know, Marvel movies have been for a while. Um, but I felt like the rating was like really strongly worn on its sleeve, like, because there was some language that I was kind of mm-hmm. surprised. And then there's a scene, there's a theme. I mean, granted, it kind of feeds into the whole widow background, things like that. But basically, I mean, they talk about childhood indoctrination, assassination, which, you know, they've mentioned that with like Black Panther, like, you know, Mm. things that people get assassinated. But specifically, um, there's a conversation between Florence Pugh's character and Scarlett Johansson's and David Harbour. And they're basically talking about forced female sterilization. Mm -hmm. And it like is just, you know, it's really thrown out there. And they kind of and I was like, whoa, I mean, for this to be, you know, Marvel, but Disney, I'm like, wow, that is that's well, pretty, and there was also heavy. <laughs> there's also a scene of you know you're kind of flashing back a little bit to the the one big kind of thing that Black Widow's really been traumatized that she did that involved a child, you know, right. kind of it, 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 part of an assassination plot. And so yeah, there were some heavier themes in there for the movie so for that, sure. That, I mean, I, I guess you figure, but still, I was kind of I mm-hmm. was like, wow, this is this is a uh, this is pretty heavy. Yeah. And uh, so, but I, did, I, I see that as a pod. I was kind of impressed that they took that on and didn't, you know. Um, <laughs> I will say though, because you know I like the movie, but you know. Take a drink because I did feel like the running time was extended. At There's the running time comment. I was waiting to yeah, see how that was coming. At 134 minutes. And specifically, it kind of clipped along and was fine until a final action sequence that took a while to ramp up. And you kind of could kind of see where it was going to end up. And it suffered for me, which is kind of a tease for a discussion we'll have in a little bit a bit from the fast and furious level of suspension of disbelief. Mm. Um, I get it. It's a comic book movie. It is trying for realism, but it's not like the Jason Bourne level of yeah. realism. But it it got kind of silly. It involved like, you know, a flying fortress falling and, and people flying. falling. Yeah, yeah. And you're just like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> by that point in the film, I kind of had just said, all right, yeah, we're going full full comic booky here. And that's that's fine. Again, I just I wish the first half of the film I, I thought the first half of the film was just so much more effective at setting the right tone. And I'm afraid 
the pheromones, the red powder stuff, the <laughs> the falling from the sky, fighting in midair. It, yeah, that's where they said, nope, let's remember, let's remind everybody, this is this still is- a... Marvel superhero movie, so let's have fun with it, and it's it's fine. It it, it was it didn't the ending didn't bother me as much because I'd already kind of given in to the sure. This is where we where this is where we are now. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Um. But yeah, I agree with you though. It was. I wish the tone had been more consistent, and I would have loved to have seen a just truly strict Jason Bourne type action thriller the whole way through. And I think they could have done it. I mean, I really do, and still been a, a fun film, but. Um, as it was, I'm still saying it's it's fun, it's entertaining. I think it was well done. Uh, Kate Shortland, you know, not an action director, not a big budget movie director, so this is kind of her first time working on a a big big spectacle. I read an interview with her after seeing the film, and hmm. you know, something she actually turned down doing this film, I think initially, and they had to kind of convince her, and finally she decided to do it and give it a shot. And I thought I thought she did a good job yeah, with it. Absolutely. So, you know, it, it worked. So, all right. Well, that is Black Widow. I think it uh, comes out in theaters on July 9th. Yes. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So we, by the time you hear this, I think it should be out in theaters. Um, and uh, Chris and I are both saying, yeah, it's good. Uh, I had a good time with it. It's fun. So we uh, encourage you to check it out, especially if you are a Marvel fan. I think you'll find plenty here to still enjoy uh, continuing that that whole big story. All right, Chris, let's go ahead and move into our second review, which is uh, the film is an ad- adaptation of a book called When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit. Chris, in, when Hitler stole Pink Rabbit, we have the story of Anna, who's nine-year-old, and her life changes uh, when her family has to escape the threat of Nazis coming in in 1933. Her father, Arthur, is a well-known Jewish journalist, so therefore he has to flee because he's on the list of people that Hitler wants to have dealt with, unfortunately. So the whole family, Anna, her 12-year-old brother, Max, their mother, Dorothea, we follow them as they have to make several moves and several changes in their life to basically escape this threat, overwhelming threat that they have over them and their family uh, to stay safe. Uh, as I mentioned, the setup, this is based on a, a book, based on a, a story. Um, and I don't have a lot of background on the story or book itself, but I know that the book, I want to say, had a little more slant or tone towards children. and it, it kind of a, I don't want to say a children's book, but it was more from the viewpoint of the nine-year-old child. That was the whole idea of what this nine-year-old child was seeing around her as the family was having to be uprooted and moving to different countries along the way, kind of the peril that she saw her, her father in and her whole family um, along the way. So my question to you, Chris is, you know, having not read the book, I don't know if you've read the book. No, I, assume. I have not. No. Mm-hmm. Um, did the film work for you at all? And it being from the perspective of a nine-year-old, if that's the way the book uh, was kind of designed to be from, did the film work from that regard as well as telling a great story from a nine-year-old's perspective of such a traumatic time, or did it miss the mark in doing so? Well, I think the way I'm not, you know, I'm not familiar with the book, mm-hmm. but the way the film told the story, you know, I guess mainly from maybe the little girl's perspective, but it also didn't mind focusing on how the rest of the family also felt too. She has a brother and of course a mom and a dad. Um, That was something for me when I go into World War II movies, of which we reviewed plenty here on the show. um, Oftentimes they kind of blend together. 
And um, whether it's just the story of one person and their struggle through World War II, or it's maybe one or two people in a prison camp or soldiers, you know, it's like, so perspective wise, um, this was something kind of new to me where it focused on a family and then them having to like constantly hopscotch to different places and not just, you know, run and flee, but also have to worry about, okay, what are we going to do for money? What are we going to do for food? Uh, we don't speak the language. What are we going to do about that? Like, you know, and the kids having to be like, Ugh, you know, and so that to me did make it kind of stand out and it was successful. And I like this film more than I actually thought I would, um, because I thought I would just kind of pass it off as, you know, it's okay, but I don't feel like it has brought anything new or informed any new perspectives on how I see that time period. And it, and it did. So I was kind of, I was kind of surprised by that. So hmm. what do okay. you think? <laughs> well, I, I did not care for this movie. Wow. Um, okay. And, and it's tough for me to review it because I mean, the subject matter and the story being told, obviously very, you know, important. And I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's an important story to be heard and told. Mm -hmm. I just unfortunately felt like this movie was a big, big case of let's tell you what's happening and let's just talk through everything happening, but we don't really spend any time with any characters to really get a real sense of it's I, I just felt like the movie was more, let's talk about everything that's happening. And then we're going to have big dramatic emotional moments with characters that we really haven't developed or fleshed out a whole lot. So there's not a lot to base those emotional moments on. Hmm. And I felt like the film, obviously the nature of the story is very repetitive anyway. It's up. Oh, we're in a city. We're, we're going to be in where now we get in trouble. So now let's go leave and go to another city. And it just, it didn't really do anything for me. Wow. So, and again, I, 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 I hate that because again, I think the story is important. I actually am kind of curious about the book because I think the book probably had more, more effort to, I would imagine make, make you care about the characters, make you understand, get to know the characters a little bit more. And I also wish the movie had stuck with, if it's going to be the perspective of a nine-year-old child, let's, let's, let's go from that perspective. This movie just really just said, well, we maybe start with the viewpoint of a nine-year-old child. The first few moments and scenes, it seemed like it was going to be all from her perspective. As the film went along, it was just, no, no, it's just going to be everybody. And we're just going to mm. see everybody in the family and just follow them and all. Um, so see, no, that, it, that for me was what made it better because okay. you look at another film like Jojo Rabbit, also yeah. has Rabbit in the title. Um, that's mainly from the perspective of the boy and how he perceives Hitler youth and yeah. things like that. And where this, you have the girl's perspective, but you also have a, you know, yeah. you also have the mother and the father and the, the brother. I don't know. It made it, it made it stand out for me. And I feel like, um, I was sympathetic. I think some of what you're referencing is you didn't feel the pull for like the housekeeper, Hel yeah. Hel Helgi. Right. Let's call her that. I, sure. I think it's something close to that, but she gets left behind in Berlin with an idea that she was going to come later, but that didn't work out. And then there's an uncle that mm -hmm. is also friends with the family that does some Julius. writing back and forth. Mm -hmm. But then at one point he's no longer there. Yeah. And something about, I, it worked for me how it was like, because I felt that part of the separation, which things you can't control, things you have plans that are going to work out and they don't work out. And then how that it crushes the family, but then they also try to keep mother and father, try to put on a brave face for the little child. And so yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I feel, I feel it, it worked for me. Mm. I can see what you're saying that they weren't developed enough for you. But for me, that kind of made the, I don't know. You thought it kind of put you a little bit more in the family's shoes where you, their, their distance from the family and then you have to hear kind of what happens to them or where they are or what's going on in their life. And I, it, and that I, distance and I, is and you kind the, of equated I to that. I see your nature or your comment about how things, it was very repetitive. And But for me, that worked because it was like something that I, I guess I'd never really thought about. I'd never thought about, you know, we have the Anne Frank story, yeah. which they were trapped and they didn't get to go anywhere. They, mm -hmm. were, they were trapped somewhere. And then you have the... Uh, uh, really sad and harrowing tales you have of people that are captured that are Jews that are captured mm -hmm. and they're put in concentration camps. And that's kind of the end of the story there. I'm not really familiar with a story where a family, you know, spoiler, they do succeed and they do, they do get out and they are successful in like jumping, jumping, jumping. But despite that, they lose people along the way that they're very close to and they die and the hardships of, and being treated 
poorly yeah. <laughs> in different places. Right. And that's one of the reasons why they have to keep jumping. Um, I don't know. I just, well, it, I'm, it I'm glad it worked for, for you. I, yeah. I was just, I was upset that it didn't work for me because okay. again, I think, I think it's an important story to follow. Um, and again, I, I, I do like, you know, I thought everybody acting wise was good. You know, I don't think, I mean, I don't think it was a, you know, poorly acted film or badly cast film. I will say I thought, um, uh, the mother car played by Carla jury was really good. I, I, she was probably my favorite character in the film as far as acting perspective. She, uh, was in the film wetlands, which I don't know if you ever saw from several years I've back, it, but yeah. But um, Dorothea Kemper, she played, I thought she was really good. I mean, the rest of the family was good too. Uh, and then you got Riva Kremlowski as Anna, the young girl. Um, everybody, everybody was great. I mean, the direction was fine. Um, again, it was just more of the storytelling uh, aspects of it. Uh, translating this uh, perspective of the young child into a two hour movie where the actual story itself is repetitive. And I mean, I hate to say I hate to say the word boring because that gives us such a negative <laughs> connotation, but it is a, it's just a people sitting and talking about what just happened. And now, oh, okay, now we've got to move and we're going to move to this other city. And now we kind of go through the same motions again. And it, it didn't go anywhere for me, but again and again, I know when you're basing it off of an actual true story, somebody wrote about their childhood, right? that's the way it was. And that's, true. that's the story they had. And that's fine. It's so I, again, I hate criticizing it on that regard. It was a well-made movie, well acted. I just, uh, it just did not hit the storytelling for me that, that I felt like it needed to tell this, to tell an effective story. So well, I think one of the things that helped me too, you, you mentioned the acting of the central family and each, I thought they were all really, 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 really good. Okay. Um, right. And so that helped kind of bring a lot of the story was I felt like the, the tight knit family, uh, worked really well together. Um, the cinematography in the film I thought was beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, it reminded me of a lot of scenes of another World War II movie that I don't know if we reviewed, but it was from like two years ago, same year that, uh, Jojo Rabbit came out, but, uh, Terrence Malick's A Hidden World. Yes. Um, and that reminded me a lot of that movie. Um, and yeah, and that's, that's an example of a movie, very good film, well shot, well acted, but it follows more of the father mm -hmm. and his plight. And then he has to leave his family because he's taken away from them. And like, so that, that's what made this one kind of stand out in my mind more is because we got to, fortunately the family was able to stay together, but following them as a unit. But there were a lot of moments where there was some separation sure, and you kind of, you stuck with the kids, which, you know, I thought was you know, a nice, nice concept for it. There so. were, there's two other scenes mm -hmm. um, that I'd like to kind of point out as uh, high points in the film for yeah. me. Um, there's a scene where the mother is, gets to is makes friends with somebody else. And I can't remember which city they're in at this point. Um, they've, they're totally out of Berlin. I don't know if they're in, I think they're in Paris. They may be in Paris. Mm -hmm. but she, and um, the piano she, scene. Yes. The piano yeah. scene. Mm -hmm. um, that's Paris. Yeah. Okay. That's Paris. And that scene was just really, it was an unexpected moment of joy mm -hmm. for these two people yeah. just cutting loose and playing on the piano. And to me, I can't think of a movie that communicates that much joy through music. That's not a movie about music. Yeah. Like, you know, they, mm -hmm. that, I mean, they hint that she is, that's what she does for a living. And she hasn't been able to play a piano for a while now. She had to leave that job where she yeah. was basically like a, she was a, a musician that wrote music and everything composer. And she gets this chance and it's such this huge bonding moment. And these ladies just tear into a piano and it's just, it was really, really cool. No, it was good. And I liked even the kind of leading up to that. You know, like she enters this, this woman's house as they're settling in, you, she sees the piano off in the side, kind of a little cut view shot where you can just see that she sees She's the piano. Like and, <laughs> and I mean, you know, earlier in the film, she was bothered by the fact that the Nazis came in and basically took all their stuff out mm -hmm. of their previous home in Berlin and she was really worried about the piano and finding out the piano was gone as well. So yeah, yeah. no, it was a nice scene. I agree with that. Well, and so the other scene that I'll point out was the father and daughter are having this conversation and you know, she's just kind of they're you know, they're, of course they're Jewish. And I think it's after they've attended a service possibly. And she um, asked her dad, Hey, you know, do you believe in God? And mm -hmm. he said, I'm afraid not. I only believe in gratefulness. People who don't feel grateful always lose. And I thought that was a very interesting. Mm -hmm. It was, it was a really, 
it was a really interesting thought and yeah. quote. And mm -hmm. so I really, that really, and that was towards kind of the latter part of the film. Sure. Um, so I, I obviously, I, I like this film a good bit and I liked it a lot more than I thought it would. Yeah. So. Well, that's good. That's good. I, uh, I, I, I wish it connected for me the same way, but, um, it, it did not. But, uh, again, I think there's a, a lot here to admire just again, overall, the story just did not work in a movie format with the choices I feel like they made on how to tell the story and um, the elements behind it. So, uh, but that is when Hitler stole pink rabbit. I, I have had people ask me, you know, what does the title mean? So, I, you know, again, kind of alluding back to the fact that they had to up and leave and left so many of their possessions back in Berlin when they found out their father was being targeted because he was a head journalist and he had written some things very critical of, you know, Germany at the time. And so obviously uh, he's a Jewish also. So they, they felt like they left and the young girl had to basically pick one toy to take with her and had to leave plenty behind. And so the kind of comment she makes is that the pink rabbit, she feels like Hitler stole it because she had to leave the pink rabbit. Hitler got all the stuff in their house and was using it and playing with it or doing something with it. So right. anyway, just to clarify that name. So, cause it's kind of a unique title to a it film. Is. So, yeah. yeah. And unfortunately makes probably not only in my mind, but everybody thinks of Jojo rabbit. Cause I was talking to some people yeah. and like, Oh, I've seen that. And I'm like, nah, I no, I bet you've seen Jojo rabbit. You have, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. All right. Well, that is when Hitler stole pink rabbit. It is available. I mean, we, we were, uh, we host it right now on our foot candle, uh, film society site, you know, our virtual cinema, you can go to footcandle.org and actually see the film there, uh, buy a ticket and watch it from the comfort of your own home. Uh, beyond that, I don't know when it will be available for rental or anything else outside of the virtual cinemas. But right now, footcandle.org is probably your best bet to go find it and see it. Just follow the link to the virtual cinema. And uh, if you're a member, you get to watch it for free. If uh, you're a guest, uh, just pay the ticket price and you get to watch it. So. All right, Chris, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got some news items. We're going to talk about the latest big winner in the box office. We're going to talk about uh, Richard Donner, uh, director who just recently passed away. And then we'll have some recommendations as well. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back with Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Uh, just a quick reminder, Chris, we have a film festival coming up soon. Yes. Um, September 22nd through the 26th of the year 2021. It will be held both here in person in uh, Western North Carolina, our, our hometown of Hickory. Uh, here in the downtown environment of Hickory, North Carolina, we will be hosting the festival. But it will also have online components to the films as well. So people throughout the state of North Carolina can actually be able to watch the films online uh, throughout the festival weekend and for a few days afterwards as well. So, Chris, where uh, where's the wh what's the website for the festival and uh, when are tickets going on sale and all that? So, website for the festival is footcandlefilmfestival.com. and then tickets will go on sale. Let's see, do, 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 do. they will probably go on sale late in July, yeah. um, possibly as early as July nineteenth. But we'll it'll definitely be by late July. They'll be going on sale. All right. So that is the Foot Candle Film Festival. We're excited. Should be a lot of fun. We're looking forward to having some people come and travel and visit with us here in uh, North Carolina for that long weekend. And uh, again, if you're not able to make it here yourself and you live in the state of North Carolina, you will be able to watch these films online. So we hope you'll take part in that as well. All right, Chris, let's uh, jump into some news items. Um, the uh, let's start off. I mean, we don't normally do like box office talk about like what won the box office this past weekend, but sure. uh, we're kind of, I think it's interesting to at least look at it because we are getting back to theaters, getting back into more full speed showing big films. And this past weekend you had F nine, the latest in the fast and the furious franchise as the big box office winner again, as it has been for the past week or so. Um, Chris, I've only seen maybe half of the first 
Fast and the Furious movie. Maybe I watched the whole thing. I don't really recall. <laughs> I just know that that's the only movie I, I danced around with. I have not sure. seen two through now nine. Mm-hmm. But I understand you did partake in the Fast and the Furious fever this past weekend. Yeah. Um, a long time ago, I think it was maybe at the start of the pandemic. No, I think it must have been before that because Hobbs and Shaw, which is the prior entry uh, in between Fast 8, Furious 8, or whatever it was called, F8, and mm-hmm. this F9, I was like, you know, I've seen the first movie. I'm going to marathon them all, and then I'll be on target for Hobbs and Shaw, which Hobbs and Shaw, very disposable, didn't really care for it. Um, but I never made it. I think I made it all the way to the fourth film, and then I never saw the fifth film. But I did get to see this ninth film. If you are a fan of this franchise, then I think you'll you'll enjoy the film because from what I know from the films that I have seen, um, it kind of follows the formula. Doesn't worry too much about a you know followable plot. Doesn't really worry about that. Has plenty of like fast cars. People. Oh, so there are cars in there, this one. There are cars. Okay, good um, to know. <laughs> has plenty of fast cars and you know action sequences and like. Schwarzenegger-esque kind of one-liners spewed by Ben Diesel. Yeah, all that's there. There's a big focus in these movies on family. Yes, that is there as well. Um, there's a kind of an odd cameo, which I'm not sure if she's been in the films before because I have not seen all of them, by Helen Mirren, but it was fun <laughs> to see her in this like crazy action movie. Um, the storyline, like I mentioned, it's pedestrian, formulaic. I don't envy the filmmakers for always having to top themselves stunt-wise because I understand that is a thing. Like every movie, they keep trying to say like, okay, what can we do? What can yeah, we do? you got to kind of top it, the and last one. Without giving anything away, there is uh, there is cars in space. Um, so that, wow. is, that was kind of something that was happening in this movie. That, that So, so there you go. Um, but you know, Early in the film, I think it may be the first action sequence, um, there's a point where characters knowingly drive across a minefield. Mm. They do not know where the mines are, okay. but they are, are thinking that they are going to try to outrun the explosions, maybe? This is complicated by the fact that our heroes are not only in one vehicle, because maybe you could say they'll be the first to cross and they go so fast they trip the mines, the people behind them blow up. No, the heroes are in a couple of different vehicles. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, so technically, person driving first car could be the cause of person driving second car, who are some of their friends, death. So it kind of doesn't really, hmm. but if that bothers you, you're probably not a fan of the franchise and you probably don't need to go see this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you, we've talked before about a movie you go see and you just turn your brain off, you just enjoy the ridiculous stunts or whatever, this is, this is for you. Um, I found it to be a little too much. Um, yeah. some of the other films, especially by the time it gets to like, you know, like the first film, they clearly, they didn't have a big budget. These were all no names at the time. They're just having fun and enjoying kind of the ridiculousness. I think over time as they've gone like six, seven, eight, they have kind of returned to that formula about not really caring and okay. they get people like Dwayne, the rock Johnson to be in the films and mm-hmm. they keep, you know, Jason Statham, they keep adding these names. Um, and it somehow kind of works. I think this will probably work for most fans of the franchise, but it just, to me, you know, it, it's, uh, it's just kind of disposable, but there again, you can't take it too seriously because in this one film, you have a character who has the name of Cypher and then another character whose name is Mr. Nobody. Hmm. So it's like, okay, you know, <laughs> this is this is what we're working with here, people. So, you know, don't expect too much and know that the VIP team member is going to be Magnets in this film. Um, magnets play a big, big role. So mag- Magnets are big in the movie. Yes. High-powered Magnets. So, okay. You know, <laughs> so. And this movie was officially called F9, The Fast Saga. Which I don't get because... It has already been stated there's going to be a 10th movie, yeah. and I guess technically the 11th movie, but it's like a 10th movie split up into two parts, mm. But and those will be the last, in theory, those will be the last franchise movies. So I don't understand why you call one movie the Fast Saga. Yeah. I, I don't get it. But. It was two hours and 23 minutes. How'd you do with the time <laughs> duration there, Chris? I know that's a big hang-up for you. I mean, there again, because... It, it was fun. It did kind of lag, but you just, you kind of get that, you know, because you're like, okay, I know an extra action set piece is coming up. Um, and I, I admit too, because I haven't seen all the movies there, you can tell 
there are setups for jokes that do lots and lots of callbacks. And I didn't get a lot of them because uh-huh. I haven't seen the movies. So you but probably would benefit more having seen all the other movies. Probably. Have a little better enjoyment. And I'll have to say, okay. because this is such a, you know, hallmark franchise, you know, it's very, 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 very successful. It yeah. premiered overseas before it even opened here and was doing really, really well. Yeah. Um, I am curious, what are they going to do <laughs> to make two movies? Like what's going to be the big, what's going to be the end, the end piece? <laughs> So, well, so if they do their 10th one next, right. could they call it FX? Like <laughs> F in the number 10? I don't know. Well, there's also talk of fast, fast 10, your seatbelts. So there's all this. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. Oh. That's a pretty big shrug from So who, wow. who knows? Who knows? But uh, if you're a fan fast of the franchise, definitely 10. go on to it. Okay. Got yeah. it. All right. Well, uh, Maybe one day I'll get around to when I have an entire free weekend with absolutely nothing to do. I'll just watch all of them and just get I mean, called up to speed on the fast. See, the saga. thing is, you know, quarantine, I did make it a little bit more yeah. and I thought that was going to be my time to really do it, but I still didn't make it through. No, it, no. We, so. we, none of us really did all the things in quarantine we said this we were going to do. So this yeah. is true. All right. So great. Well, t- thanks for taking one for the team there, Chris, and going to see <laughs> F9 for us. Sure. Um, Let's move on to another news item. Uh, sadly, you know, news of Richard Donner, director and producer, passed away at age 91. Um, and, you know, it always happens when a, a famous director, someone especially that uh, turned out so many big movies that we're all familiar with, passes away. We always kind of retroactively look back and kind of see everything else that they have done and kind of put, see the filmographies and, and recall some of our favorites. There's, a, let me just, this list is impressive. So let me just hit this list really quick, Chris. And this okay. is not even all the films. This is just the ones that are more highlights. Uh, so his first film was 1968. It was a film called Salt and Pepper that had Salt and Sammy Davis Jr. in it. Not familiar with it, but that was his first movie. So not the uh, pop star. Salt no, Pepper. did not have okay. the R&B duo R&B from duo. the 80s and gotcha. 90s. No, okay. this was uh, Sammy Davis Jr. Salt and Pepper. Okay. Um, that kind of got him into feature films, uh, you know, but then you kind of just start looking at the big hits. I mean, The Omen, big, huge horror movie when it came out. Superman, the original Superman, the motion picture, and then Superman 2, which I'm going to put a little asterisk on that because we're going to talk about that in my recommendations. So okay. hold tight on that. The Goonies, Lethal Weapon, Scrooged, one of my favorite Christmas movies yeah. with Bill Murray, Radio Flyer, Maverick, which, you know, I had a lot of fun with. I think is a great James Garner, Jodie Foster, and Mel Gibson movie. I have uh, never seen that, but I've always fun. been curious. It's a good okay. fun movie, yeah. Um Something of note is, you know, he and his wife, I think, were producers on when the uh, those original X-Men films, the Brian Singer X-Men films came out. Interesting. The Singers were producers. So they kind of were helping that usher in that new genre of superhero movies that huh. has obviously done pretty well done pretty since well. now. <laughs> yeah. um, the last film he did, unfortunately, it's not a film I've seen, but it was 16 Blocks. I think it had Bruce Willis and I hmm. uh, don't remember who he was co-starring with. But – um. What I thought was interesting looking back, I mean, obviously, these are some great films. I mean, I still think the original Superman and Superman 2, the version I'm going to talk about in my recommendations, really, really great movies that really kind of set the tone of what superhero movies could do and look like. The Goonies is just super classic and so much fun. And then I mentioned Scrooge as being one of my favorite uh, uh, Christmas movies. You have a particular... Uh, Richard Donner film that stands out either of that list or other ones I'm forgetting here. I know I'm, I, I have seen all of this. Film. I had, was not aware because uh, back when I watched it, I didn't pay attention to it. I wasn't aware he did the omen. That's, yeah. that's crazy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he has quite the wide ranging uh, filmography. I, I don't know. Well, um, let me, let me tell you something that will probably, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be surprised if you know this. Okay. So he actually did a lot of work in TV before he got into the motion picture. So back okay. in the 60s, he filmed a lot of TV episodes. Richard Donner did several episodes of The Twilight Zone. Mm. Most notably, he did Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, the one with Richard Shatner. That that was Richard Donner directing that episode. Okay. That's kind of probably the most famous Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. The creature out on the on the wing of a plane and William Shatner kind of going slowly crazy in the in the in the cabin. Um so that was him. I thought huh. that was kind of fun. So William Shatner had a little tribute to make 
upon Richard Donner's passing with that. Wow. So, uh, yeah, uh, overall, great director, you know, made a huge impact on, on cinema, blockbuster, big, big motion picture cinema for us. And over a long time, too. I mean, starting in the late 60s, and I think his last film was only in the last 10 years. So uh-huh. um, quite a long career there. So uh, our condolences to the Donner family and uh, rest in peace, Richard Donner. So, All right, Chris, I think you have a another news item to share with us as well. I have no idea what it is. Okay, so we're going to play a little game. Okay. And it's going to be called Pick the Fake. Okay. Pick the what? Pick the fake. This isn't something that is not true. Oh, oh. Pick, so I'm going okay. to read you some descriptions of movies okay. that are being worked on. And I want you to tell me which one is not true. Which one is not true. Which means so all the rest of, are. All the other ones are going to be true films in production. Correct. One of them will not be. And I've got to pick out the one that's not. Correct. They're okay. going to be five. I got it. Five. Got five. it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Lena Dunham, director, she is making a Polly Pocket film. Okay. Do you know Polly Pocket, which is a children, a toy for uh, girls. Well, yeah, young girls. Okay. Okay. She, and it's starring uh, Lily James. Okay. So that, this is a project. Okay. Okay. Got it. That's one. Then we have a Barney, the dinosaur film with, uh, being produced by Daniel Kaluuya. Okay. Hmm. Then we have Rock'em Socket Robot, Rock'em Sock'em Robots, uh, starring uh, Vin Diesel. Mm-hmm. Then we, okay, so that's three. Then okay. we have a Barbie film starring Margot Robbie, mm-hmm. and then we have a Mr. Potato film starring Jim Carrey. So, which of these films hmm. is not happening? And conversely, right. that means all the other four. Okay. I have process of elimination here. Okay. I'm pretty certain the Lena Dunham film is correct. Okay. And I know for a fact the Barbie film is correct. Yeah. We've actually, I think Those we two, mentioned that yeah. at some point. Those two are new. Okay. I'm going to say that the Vin Diesel film, Rock'em Sock'em Robots, is real. Okay. And I'm going to say, oh boy, it's between these two. <laughs> one of these two is the fake one. Okay. Um, I'm going to say the Mr. Potato Head, Jim Carrey one, is real, which would leave the Barney da- Daniel Kaluuya film as being fake. Yeah, this this kind of hard game, but I thought it was a fun way to do this. Yeah. So um, you're pretty close. Uh, the Barney film is supposedly happening. Okay. Um, so it's the Mr. It's the, Potato Head, Jim, Jim Carrey. Potato Head, Jim I Carrey. totally okay. made that one up, but right. maybe it'll happen someday. But Well, I got I, I got it down to two. I was pretty happy <laughs> no, with that. Pretty, so. that's, that's good. Really? So Daniel Kaluuya with a Barney film? Wants to produce, produce a, bar- okay. a Barney film. So, But stranger to me, like Vin Diesel doing a Rock'em Sock'em Robots film. Like, no, I totally get that. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess totally I do. I totally get it's that. Like, so it's really random. You know, they've made movies out of toys before yeah. obviously but i guess i feel like they're really stretching they're stretching here. well i mean because Polly pocket to me like but i think lena dunham's thing was well i want to make an intelligent movie for young girls that comes off a toy that's supposed to be like inspiring or something kind of what i yeah. think they're going to do with barbie how they're yeah. like kind of flipping I, that i can see that so I guess I get that, but yeah, a Barney movie, like I don't get that at all, but no, I, I really don't. I guess also because Barney was a live action TV show. So I mean, I guess you make a feature length movie out of it. Yeah. I mean, again, I say that and it'll probably make a billion dollars. Yeah, maybe. Huge. Who knows? <laughs> I have no idea anymore. Um, okay. Well, that was fun. So uh, all four of those actual projects in production are in some stage of production. But yeah. Jim Carrey, if you're listening to the show, and I think you do, cause I've seen <laughs> yeah, some comments. I'm sure. Um, Mr. Potato head. If you end up making this film, you got to credit Chris Fry right. for uh, giving you <laughs> giving the inspiration. You the idea to do okay. It. <laughs> there you go. All right, great. Well, that's going to wrap up our news. So again, we, we talked about F nine. Chris gave his little mini review of that film. Richard Donner's passing away and his storied career and now uh, a lot of movies being made out of a lot of toys and children's characters that are surprising. <laughs> uh, let's move on to our final segment, which is our recommendations. Chris and I both provide a recommendation for you, something we think is worth checking out, uh, something you can find online. You can actually watch in the comfort of your own home. So, Chris, what do you have to share for us on a recommendation today? So I'm going to recommend a film called Plan B. It is uh, streaming on Hulu. That's the only only place it is right now. It is a 2021 film. Uh, It's directed by Natalie Morales, who's an actress who also has made a couple of films. And um, this one 
is kind of a, a semi take on something like super bad or, um, book smart. Mm -hmm. Um, but I care for this one a lot more, (laughs) I think because there wasn't a lot of hype around this film. I just kind of stumbled across it. Um, it's two friends paid, played by Victoria Morales and Kahoo Verma. And they're, you know, high school friends. And the reason it's called plan B is one has a regrettable first sexual encounter and she's a straight laced high school student. She has a slacker best friend and they go on a 24 hour hunt to get a plan B pill and where they are in America's heartland. That is a bit of a struggle. Their mm-hmm. judgments made. And, uh, the one girl she comes from, her name is Sunny, and she is from a very traditional Indian family. And so her mother is very, very strict. Sure. And so it provides this. And then the girl, the her friend, um, her name is Lupe. She comes from a very um, conservative Christian family. Her father's a pastor. Okay. And so there's, there's a lot of dynamics at work. Um, but I just, I felt it was, I, I really bought into their friendship and there's, I thought the film was pretty funny, mm-hmm. um, but it never took like pot shots. I thought, and it just, I really thought it was good and made a lot of uh, important points about friendship and family. Mm-hmm. There's a thing towards the end of the film or a point at the end of the film, uh, we're not giving too much away, but uh, the father talks to Lupe and he says, it's not my job to judge you. It's my job to be your dad, no mm-hmm. matter what. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty, it's pretty powerful. So yeah. um, I really liked it. You know, it is dealing obviously with adult subject matter. It is, uh, you know, an R, strong R comedy. Sure. Um, but I uh, really liked it and it was a complete surprise because I hadn't really, I'd seen a little talk on Twitter about it. So it was kind I, of a surprise. Yeah, I'd heard a little bit about it, but I'm, I'm glad you had a chance to check it out and see that. So that's great. So plan nine. Plan B. <laughs> Different type of Yeah, yeah, there. different kind of plan. Sorry, yes. I went on autopilot there. Uh, plan B on Hulu. Mm-hmm. There you go. Great. Um, so I'm going to kind of call back to my news item for my recommendation. I talked about Richard Donner and you know, some of the films of his I really, really liked. And I did mention Superman 2. Now, here's the interesting thing about that film, for those of you not aware of the story, is that you know Richard Donner did the first Superman movie, Superman the Motion Picture. Big hit. People loved it was great. Christopher Reeve introduced him to a, a big worldwide audience and kind of set a new standard for movies that could be based off of comic books and superheroes. Uh, so obviously they wanted to move forward with making a Superman two. Richard Donner was signed on to direct Superman two as well. However, during production, there were some issues. I think uh, Richard Donner having some issues with the producers of the film or vice versa budgets going high, other things, uh, the producers uh, were kind of notably known for trying to keep costs low. Hmm. And I think they had some square skirmishes with Donner about budget and choices of the story. So Richard Donner filmed a lot of the film that you see today in the theatrical version of Superman two, but um, a lot of his footage actually got cut and they hmm. brought in another director, Richard. <sighs> I should have written it down and I'm going to hate myself for <laughs> n- not remembering, but Another Richard came okay. in, a Richard who had done. He's the one who actually directed a Hard Day's Life for the Beatles. Oh, okay. um, Richard. Yeah, I shoot. should know his name now. I know. Too, I'm sorry, I'll get it. Hard Day's Night. Anyway, they brought him in to basically reshoot a lot of the film and to put the final touches on it. So his name is Lester, Richard Lester. Sorry, got it. Um, Richard Lester is credited as the director of Superman 2. Gotcha. However, if you watch the movie really carefully, if you're familiar with the first one, you watch the second one, you can almost tell half the scenes are shot and you can almost tell that looks like Richard Donner because hmm. it's very similar to the look and feel of the first movie. And then there's others that honestly, it's the scenes that are a lot more slapsticky and silly hmm. are very different looking. And that's Richard Lester's touch on the film. Okay. So my overall, what I'm getting to with this whole big long story is that just not too long ago, I think about maybe 10, 15 years ago, they did release Superman to the Richard Donner cut hmm. where they had taken all the original Richard Donner footage and reconstructed the movie to be his film. Okay. And my understanding is I think they were able to do it just about with all of his footage. They may have had to slice in a couple of scenes or shots that he didn't do, but I mean, I'm the vast majority of the film was his film now. Hmm. And it changes a lot of the film. It actually, um, it makes the film, okay, Superman 2, I love, 
But there are some moments in it that are just grown worthy, silly, kind of ridiculous. Um, a lot of slapstick humor, uh, even with Lois Lane, very slapsticky, kind of her frantic energy and always kind of uh, getting into trouble, or or hmm. just a lot of energy there that just seemed really out of out of place with her. Okay, the Richard Donner cut makes her a lot of a much a much smarter character with a lot more agency throughout the film. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you remember from Superman, uh, Superman two. I, I don't even need to go into the plot for it. It's yeah. three Kryptonian no, I, I, villains. I, I would say that that probably is my favorite yeah, film. Yeah. If I can count it as a Donner film, since he didn't get to be director. Yeah, but. and you still can because I think o- overall the core of the film is still basically the same. The three Kryptonian villains, all with the same power, Superman come to Earth and Superman has to fight them. He loses powers, has to get them back, so forth. Um. There's a scene in the in the theatrical version where they're fighting in the Fortress of Solitude, mm. and he takes his Superman takes his S symbol logo off his chest and throws it, and it turns into like a giant cellophane wrapper over the thing. It's just, I that's not a power. That's not anything he should be able to do. I don't see how that's possible. Sure. Well, it's gone. That was a Richard Lester touch. Okay. A lot of the silly stuff, like even when the battles going on in the middle of New York City, Times Square, with the big villains. Mm-hmm. There would be cutaway shots in the theatrical versions of like civilians like doing pratfalls and like having silly stuff with like umbrellas or whatever or getting blown away. That's not that was not Richard Donner. So when you watch the Richard Donner cut, it's I think it's a lot more emotional film. I think mm. it's a lot more strong, powerful film. It's much more serious film, and it just works. The one thing that's unfortunate about the Richard Donner cut, if you recall at the end of Superman 2 in the theatrical version. Lois Lane has learned that Clark Kent is Superman. The way she forgets it is he gives her a magical kiss and she now forgets. Again, doesn't make any sense. In the Richard Donner version, they have the same issue where Lois has figured out uh, Clark's identity. Gotcha. And the way he makes her forget, also kind of groan inducing, but at least it's a little better than a magical kiss. He does the same thing he did in the first Superman movie, which is he makes the Earth spin backwards in time to the point where all the events of this movie never take place. <laughs> I, I hate that they reuse the same Recycled days it, yeah. of, as ex machina to just make that happen, but it's better than just him kissing her and her forgetting. And that still doesn't make any sense. Anyway, <laughs> okay. I, all I'm trying to say is the film I think is better. Okay. I think it's more serious. I think it's more emotional. I think it things make more sense in the film, like certain reasons, like why he gives up his powers, why he has to do that. Just didn't making sense with the theatrical version. Hmm. So in honor of Richard Donner, I do recommend maybe go out and check out the Donner cut of Superman two. If you haven't seen it, it is available on Amazon, Apple TV that you can buy it. I don't know if you can rent it. I didn't see it for rent anywhere. I think it may be a purchase thing, Okay, but it is available and you can kind of compare the differences between the two versions and, uh, I think it's a better version. I would, so. I would like, I would like to see the uh, the director's cut. I don't believe I have, so I have to have to look into that. Okay. Well, I've got a DVD copy of it, ah, so I'll, nice. I'll be happy to let you let you nice, check that nice. out. So. All right. So that is our recommendations. Chris with Plan B on Hulu. Me with uh, Superman Two: The Richard Donner Cut on Amazon, Amazon, Apple TV, anywhere where you can buy uh, digital movies, you should be able to find it. All right, Chris, I think that's our show for today. So Black Widow, When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit. You were positive on both those films, which is pretty nice to see. (laughs) Um, You actually were a little more positive on both of them than I was. I think so. But Black Widow, I'm still saying I enjoyed quite a bit and it's worth worth a watch. When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit, I had some issues with and troubles, but Chris is a much stronger advocate for it and uh, says it's worth your time to check out. And then our news items, F9, Richard Donner, and uh, a lot of toy movies and cartoon movies being made. Yes. All right. So, Chris, let's go ahead and wrap up. If somebody wanted to contact us, talk about anything we're talking about, or ask us questions, how can they How can they do that? You can send us an email to info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. Alan and I are also on Letterboxd, where you can track what we're seeing. Sometimes we give short reviews. And as Alan has mentioned, we are having our 2021 Foot Candle Film Festival, September 22nd through the 26th. 
we'll be announcing uh, when you can buy tickets and stuff in late July. Also, if you're listening to this podcast, we appreciate it. Uh, consider giving us a star rating, write a review, share with friends, and iTunes to help us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate it. We're also on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. Okay. Lots of ways to contact and connect with us, so we hope you do. And uh, that's our show for today. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We will be back uh, in the next couple of weeks with another episode, some more reviews, more movie news. Until then, uh, take care. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.